This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. This week's Pasha Shoftim for Shlema. He's not here today. He didn't bring me his papers. So, Sarah Bailabas Malka for Shlema for what? What? Okay. So, it's for Shlema. For Shlema for Shoshana Bas. All right. Being that we're in Elo, and we know we spoke about it last time I was here, which was two weeks ago. We know that Elo stands for the letters of Elo stands for Anila Dadi I am to my loved one, and my loved one is to me. Also, Ishlari Eu Umatanas Levionim, also the Rosh Tevis of Elo. A man to his friend, and Matanas to the poor people. So we have in the word Elo both the way we treat Hashem and the way Hashem treats us, our relationship between us and Hashem, which we'll speak about tonight, and also the relationship between Ben Elo Machavero. Between a um, between a person and another person, because on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, no matter how much you're going to fast and cry and say slichot, if you hurt somebody else's feelings, Hashem can't forgive you for that. If you stole money from somebody, Hashem can't forgive you for that either. What you did between you and God, you can ask forgiveness from God. What you do between you and another person, you have to get forgiveness for that other person. So the Benol Mechaver on Rosh Hashanah, we don't get forgiven on Yom Kippur. That we never get forgiven for until we ask mechila from that person. Um, there's, there's, okay, so what does Anila Daidu Daidili mean? Um, I would think that, that Anila Daidu means I'm to Hashem, my loved one, and my, it's like a romantic. You know, I'm to Hashem, Hashem is to me, we lie, love you, you love me. Uh, that's not the month of Elul. That should be like Purim time. You know, Hanukkah time. Elul is a very scary time. It's a time where we're going in, in, in front of the judge. What loved one? Since when is the judge the loved one, you know? Um, so what's this whole Anila Daily Daily How does that fit in to, to Elul, Tshuva, Vidoy? We know that, that, um, Tshuva by a Jew is, is made out of four parts. First part is Vidoy. It is admitting that you did something wrong. You can't fix somebody who doesn't admit that they did something wrong. If they're gonna argue with you and say, I didn't do anything wrong. So the first thing that a person has to do in Tshuva is he has to admit that he did wrong. Now, that's not, that's not just lip service. You have to really feel and admit that, that you did something wrong. So that's the first part of tshuva. The second part of tshuva is, is charata. It's okay, you admit, you know, I did this wrong, but I don't feel bad about it. It was great. I had a great time, you know? So that's not tshuva. Just admitting what you did wrong and not having charata. Charata is, means that a person um, feels bad what he did. Then, it depends, if you stole someone from someone, there's a thing called hashava, you could feel bad, and you could be the nicest guy in the world, but if you steal a, a, a dollar from me, and you don't give it back to me, there's no mechila. So you can admit, I stole a dollar from you, I feel so bad. It bothers me so much, but I'm not giving it back to you. Right? So that's, that's not, that's not true, but that doesn't work. But, but when it's not, when it's not been on the when it's been on the makom, the last thing is, is that a person doesn't do it again. In other words, if you admit you did something wrong and you, you, you do vidui and you have charata, but you do it again, then that's not a tshuva. Now, it doesn't mean, okay, so then nobody did tshuva last year. Because this year you're going to say al chait on all the things you said al chait last year again. So you can say it over again. So that means no one in this room did tshuva. Because uh, if you did tshuva, why are you saying it over again? You know, al chait that I spoke Lashon Hara. You said that last year in Yom Kippur. Oh, you were crying. You had such a good Yom Kippur. Now you're coming back and you're saying, I'll hate that I spoke Lashon Hara again. So what, how do you do tshuva? 
So if the, the, the main part of the tshuva is that you don't do it again, then we all didn't do tshuva last year because we're all going to ask forgiveness for the same stuff we asked forgiveness last year. So what it means is that when you accept upon yourself not to do it again, you really don't want to do it again. It's, it, we're human. We, we make mistakes. But it's not like, you know, I'm accepting on myself. I'm not going to do it again. But I know in my heart I'm going to do it again. That's not, that's not tshuva. You're really accepting, like, that's it. This year, I'm just not doing that available anymore. I'm done with it. I'm finished. I'm, I'm, I'm building a fence around, a fence as an expression, you know, to make sure that, that it doesn't happen again. So, those are the, those are the main parts of, of doing tshuva. But, okay, so that maybe shows my love for Akash Baruch Hu that I'm willing to admit. By the way, the law in heaven is exactly the opposite of the law here. Because in America, if you, if you admit that you're guilty, right, you're guilty. If, if they ask you, what's your, what, what do you plead? Right, all you guys, when you get a speeding ticket, they ask you on that little yellow paper, what do you plead? You all check off not guilty. If you check off guilty, you get points and you gotta send the check in. Right, so everybody, everyone checks off not guilty. They hope the cop doesn't show up. They hope that maybe he forgot who you are. But in the world, if a person pleads guilty, yeah, they'll make you a deal. You know, if you plead guilty, yeah, we'll make you a deal. Instead of giving you ten years, we'll give you five years. But you don't have a chance to be innocent if you plead guilty. In Shemayim, it's the exact opposite. If you don't plead guilty, then you then you have no way, no chance of being innocent. It's the exact opposite of the way it is over here. So without vidui, without admitting what you did wrong, you're guilty. By admitting what you did wrong, you have a chance not to be guilty. It's, it's the, the malchus, the way they work in Shemayim is the opposite over here. Because the truth is that if you're in denial, if you deny what you did is, is wrong, then, then how could you be forgiven? You see, court doesn't forgive. Court punishes. They don't forgive you. In other words, by sending you to jail for 10 years, they're not forgiving you after the 10 years. They punish you for 10 years. Shemayim forgives. It's not about punishment. So if you want to be forgiven, the first thing you have to do is you have to admit what you did wrong. Therefore, if you look in the Chumash, when um, Adam ate from the Eitz Hadas, when he ate from the tree, so Hashem didn't say, why did you eat from the tree? You're going to be punished. Hashem said, why are you hiding? And Adam said, because you're around and I'm not dressed. And Hashem said, how do you know you're not dressed? And that's when he came to admit that he ate from the tree. He had to, Hashem let him admit it by, by, um, by Cain and Hevel. When Cain killed Hevel, Hashem didn't come and say, Cain, why'd you kill Hevel? If you look in the Pasuk, Hashem said, where's your brother? He needed Cain to admit what he did wrong. Because the first part of doing tshuva is admitting what you did wrong. And you know what? To really admit that you did something wrong is the hardest part. That's the first part of tshuva. It's sort of like taking off your dirty clothing. What do I mean by that? There's a very beautiful marshal that the Dugma Magid says. He says that, um, what, so what do you have to do, Vida? Why, why do you have to, why do you have to do the achets and admit everything you did wrong? Just go further. Start, you know, start life new. Why do you have to go back and say, I did this. It sounds like AA, you know? I did this. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. You're coming to Rosh Hashanah. Forget about everything that you were and start new. Why do you have to do? Why do you have to admit what you did wrong? So the Dugma Magid says a says a um, very very beautiful true marshal. He says like this. He says so there was this guy who was a peasant. He lived in the in the fields out. You know, he never went to the city. Never wore a suit in his life. Never had a business meeting. Right? He was a peasant. Anyway. It was time for him to get married. So his father 
sent him in the city to buy a wedding suit. Okay, he never went to a store. He never bought a wedding suit. He never, he never did any of this stuff. So he comes to the store. He walks in. And uh, they want to sell this kid a suit, you know. He says, what are you doing here? I'm here for my wedding suit. So the, the guy says, okay, let me see. He looks at him, he goes, hey, listen, I'm in this business a long time. I'm a salesman for 40 years. I don't even have to take out a tape measure and measure you. You are a size 40 regular. See that whole rack in the back? Just go back there and take any black suit, black on black, whatever you like, 40 regular, they're all on sale, and go try them on. So the guy takes one suit, he takes another suit, double-breasted, single-breasted, three-button, two-button, you know, 100% wool, not 80% wool. And this guy from the, from the field, he's got himself six suits. And the, uh, the salesman's waiting outside the fitting room. And he says, no, it's already half an hour. He goes, no, why don't you come out with your suits? I want to see how you look, you know. We'll see which one's the nicest one. Finally, the guy comes back out and he says, I don't know. You say you're a tailor, you say you're a salesman for 40 years. These suits don't fit. You totally have my size wrong. Guy looks at him and says, listen, I'm doing this a long time. You're a size 40 regular. I don't care what you tell me. He goes, nope. Not one of those suits fit me. He says, let's go back into the dressing room. Let me, let me I have to see this. I, I can't believe that after all these years I'm wrong. Guy goes, okay, no problem. Takes one of the suits, goes into the dressing room, right? Starts putting it on. The salesman says, what are you doing? Take off, take off your, your clothing. Take off your jacket. Take off your, take off your, you're trying to put the, these pants over your pants? You're trying to put this jacket over your jacket? That's not going to work. You first have to take off your clothing from the farm, and then you got to put on the suit. You're going to try to put the jacket on top of your jacket, pants on top of your pants. Of course it's not going to fit. What a fool. But the guy didn't understand. He says, the Duma Maggit says, it's exactly like coming to Rosh Hashanah, like coming to, um, <coughs> Like coming to what's it called to shul and davening and not doing tshuva and saying oh next year I'm going to be good next year I'm going to be good and you're trying to put all this new stuff for the next year on your dirty clothing because you didn't do tshuva you didn't get rid of that stuff so it's not going to fit it's not going to work it's a beautiful dogma mag he says first you got to get yourself clean you got to stand in front of Hashem I'll, I'll tell you a story that happened I was just in Eretz Yisrael that's why I wasn't here last week and uh, it was amazing but just to watch a person you know clean himself and 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 get all the Garbage, all the various that he did to admit it to Hashem, to cry, to feel bad for it. We'll talk about the whole show for what it, what it stands for. You first gotta take off your dirty clothing. If you don't take off your dirty clothing, you put your new, you know, your new clothing on top. You know, it doesn't work. We used to do that in camp. In camp, I used to get up very late, and I used to play ball very late. So I used to fall asleep on my bed with my shorts on, right? My sneakers, my shorts, well, my sneakers were off, but my white sweat socks and my shorts and my cut off t-shirt that I used to play ball in, whatever it is. And all of a sudden the council is like, you're 10 minutes late for chakras, they're ready up to Baruch Shema. So I, you think I got undressed, took a shower? I put my shirt and my pants on top of my shorts and that, right? And I went to, and, and I went to Davin and I went to breakfast with my new clothes on top of my old clothes. You guys know what I'm talking about. But the bottom line is you stink. The bottom line is, you know, there are people who don't take a shower for four days, they're busy spraying you know, deodorant all over their hair and their shirt and but lamice of their body stinks. You know, your your shirt might smell good because you sprayed it with deodorant, but your body stinks. So it's the same thing, a person who doesn't do chuva, your soul you're putting a lot of good stuff on it, but the the soul itself stinks. You gotta clean that all first. If you don't get the old clothing off, the new clothing doesn't fit. So it's a it's a it's a brilliant, brilliant muscle 
um, that he brings down. Now, one of the secrets of Davin Rosh Hashanah, which is coming up, which is really what we have to prepare, we have, it's an amazing thing. What does it mean, I kneel daily, daily, that Hashem loves us? It's so different than, than, than court. If Hashem, you should never know from court. It's a very scary thing, even when you go to traffic, you know, traffic court. Um, the, the other lawyers are trying to catch you. You know, you don't know how much evidence they have against you. You don't know if they wiretapped you. You don't know, you know, you don't know what they're gonna, you know, you don't, you don't know what to say because you don't know what they're gonna show. What Hashem tells us in Elul, and that's why it's called Anila Daily Daily that Hashem loves us, is He tells us, listen to me. I'm the judge. And I'm your dad. I mean, that's a great feeling. You walk into a court and, and the guy's sitting on the, maybe not, it depends on your relationship with your father, but, but you know, you walk into court and, and you're nervous, right? It's traffic court. You're, they're going to rip up your, you were going 105 miles an hour, you didn't put your blinker on, you know, you, whatever, you, you didn't have your seatbelts on, right? You had your music on so loud it was disturbing the, the, the neighbors at 105 miles an hour. And, and, you, and, and, and you, you, the guy gave you six summonses and he's like, you're never going to drive again. And, you know, and you walk into the, to the courthouse and guess who's the judge? Dad. <laughs> you know, my father will get me off somehow. The truth is he can't. He can't get you off somehow. Because if he's sitting there, he's the judge, and everybody's in court, and there's lawyers in court, everyone in court, he can't just say, well, it's my son, forget about it. So, what would the father say? The father knew beforehand, he would tell, call up the son and say, listen, this is all the counts they have against you. Get yourself a good lawyer, fight this with this way, fight this with that way, do this with this way. He'll give you all the hints on how to get around the law. You know, they, 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 had, they didn't have a search warrant. They went into your car, they didn't have a search warrant. So all the stuff they found in your car, out the door. And, and, and he didn't put on his light, and he didn't identify himself, because the, the judge knows the laws. So that's amazing. So Hashem, His love for us is that He tells us 30 days before Rosh Hashanah, listen to me. There's a court case coming, and you can get rid of all the evidence. Imagine, it, it, just if you can get an imagination, that, that they caught you doing something. And they have the gun that you used, and the shoes, and the shirt with the blood, and all this evidence that, you know, and it's in the police station. And, you know, they take the evidence, they put it in a room, it's in an evidence room, you can't get to that room. There's a guard sits there, don't ask how I know. So God sits there, the door is closed. You cannot get into the evidence room, right? Only the police can get into the evidence. Nobody else can get into the evidence room. Now imagine if you had a pass to go into that room and take all the evidence out. Now you got this big shot prosecutor, right? Who knows? They got the gun he used, they got his shirt, they got his bloodstained sneakers, they got all this stuff. This is going to be a no-brainer. We're going to send this guy away forever, right? And now... She comes to court. She's prosecuting you. You're sitting there. You're smiling. What is, what is he smiling about, right? And they say, okay, evidence number one. Item number one, the gun. Uh, we can't find the gun. The gun's gone. Okay, okay, we can still get him. Okay, evidence number two, the blood-stained sneakers. Uh, excuse me, ma'am, uh, we lost the sneakers. Uh, the blood-stained shirt. Uh, the shirt's not there. The fingerprints. We, we can't find the fingerprints. So she's like, who, like, what's going on over here? Right? Well, he walks out scot-free. Hashem is telling us that you can get rid of the evidence, boys, in the next 30 days. I don't know what you did wrong this year. I know what I did wrong this year. You all know what you did wrong this year. 
All that stuff is in the evidence room in Shemayim. It's on film. It says in the Mishnah, everything's on film. They got a film of everything you did. Every, all the places you, saw, you thought that nobody was looking, they are looking. They got a camera everywhere. They got a tape everywhere. Everything you said is on tape. Everything you saw is on the video. Now, the Yitzhahara is laughing because he's got us all nailed, every one of us in this room. We're nailed. It's going to come Rosh Hashanah. They go into the archives. They say, okay, Zechariah Wallerstein, tape from last Rosh Hashanah till this Rosh Hashanah, Tav Shin Samaches. I got all my evidence. He's got everything in the book. Everything's written down. Exactly what you did wrong. And you know, and they're going to play this film. And what are you going to do? Right? And they have all the evidence. And it says that every avera you do, you write it down with your own hands. It's your own hands. The things you do with your hands, your hands are going to talk in Shemayim. You're going to say, I did this and this. I'm Rabbi Wallstein's hands. I did this. My eyes are going to talk and say, I'm his eyes and we saw this. And I'm his ears and we heard this. Oh, baby. It's not a fun thing, judgment on Rosh Hashanah. But Hashem, who loves us, says, listen, I give you the key to the evidence room. You can do tshuva. You can, in the next 30 days, you can, set, you can stand in front of God and say, Hashem, I remember I did this. I cannot believe I did this to you. I, I'm broken. I promise I'll never do it again. And all of a sudden, you went into the evidence room, you took out that Avera, and it's gone forever. And when the Yetzirah comes, Rosh Hashanah night, and he's like, oh man, I'm going to nail Wallstein Wednesday night. Oh baby, he is so done. January 15th. Woo! Okay, you know what? Skip all of Wallstein's tape. Let's just, let's just nail him on this. And they put it on, and it's blank. And the Yetzirah is like, where's the evidence? And they're like, oh, we're sorry. The gun is gone. We're sorry it's gone. And then he's like, well, what about when Wallstein did that? Uh, we don't have that anymore. But what about Wall Street did that? Uh, uh, we don't have that either. That's That's the greatest love of all that Hashem can do for us. He's giving us 30 days to get rid of every drop of evidence. They're going to play that film and it's going to be like those cameras that you left out, you know, that a little bit got in the light and the whole thing, the whole film got blank and the whole film was blank. Now, even better than that, talk about love. Talk about Hashem's love for us. Even better than that. If you did tshuva, not because you're scared you're going to burn in Gehenim, right? And you're going to be upside down and burning in Gehenim. That's not what you did. But you did tshuva because Hashem, you gave me so much. I, I can't believe I, I smacked you in the head. Hashem, I can't believe I did this. That's why you're doing tshuva. So it says tshuva me'ahava, in Hilchah's tshuva, turns into a mitzvah. Turns into a mitzvah. So the satan, this is the greatest thing. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to really see his face. But I'd like to see his face when this happens, right? Because they don't really want to see the Sultan's face. I mean, you see it. You walk outside, you see it all over the place. And every magazine, his face is on there. But you can imagine his face when he's like, all right, let me show you Hashem and the judges. I want to show you this picture of this guy. He couldn't control himself. And he went into Burger King and he had a cheeseburger and he was dripping all over and he was enjoying it. And boy, is he going to burn and get hand him for this. And he's all excited. You know, something's all excited when you're doing a very, he's very excited. He's got it on film. He's got you nailed. You're nailed. Right? Now, you went ahead. And on the fifth day of Elo, after watching Shear, the next day, you said to yourself, oh, my goodness, you know, I can't believe I, man, if Rebbe knew, oh, man, Hashem, I can't believe, I, 
I couldn't control myself, and I went into Burger King, and I had this cheeseburger, and bleh, I feel like throwing up, Hashem. I, I can't believe I did this to you. You give me everything. There's so much kosher in New York. It's not like somewhere else. And I could have gone to Kosher Light and, and had a regular sign steak sandwich, you know? And I just was, I was cheap. They had a 99 cents deal, a McMuffin, a McMaffin, whatever it's called, whatever it is. And I, and I, I Hashem, I, I, I love you, and I, and I can't believe I hurt you. I can't believe I hurt you. Says the Hilchas Tshuva that they will now take this scene in Burger King that the Satan is like going to run to Hashem to show it to him what you did, right? And they're going to show a totally different scene because when you do Tshuva Me'ava, the whole item changes. You go back in time, which you can't do in, in the real world. Only in Tshuva. Only in Tshuva can a person go back in time. And you went back in time and you changed the film. And instead of Playing, you going into Burger King, custom eating cheeseburger. You're walking into Shop Smart or Pomegranate. I'll do the advertising. And you're walking into the new store, Pomegranate, and you bought a Reisman Kokosh cake, and you're making a burger. My name is Zionice, and an Alamechia, and you're giving part of it to a poor person, and there's something standing like, that's not him. How did he get into that picture? He's in Burger King. And they're like, no. That's called Anilo Daidi Daidi. Guys, we're out of our minds not to do tshuva. We're crazy. We're crazy. Hashem's telling you, you can get rid of all the evidence and you keep doing our bears, the whole hell. Yeah, I'll do it on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah's too late. Rosh Hashanah is judged. It's too late. He's got so much evidence. He's got all that evidence against you. You don't erase the tape. Oh, you're going to have to have from the other side. You know my black and white story. That's not for tonight. But you're going to have to have so many minutes. Get rid of all the evidence. He brings down, he brings down, I think it's maybe it's in the Chavetz Maybe it's a Dugma Magad also, Marshall. And, and, and I always love this Marshall because it's like so true. The king, we're all, we're all in this picture. The king had these three guys, right? His three ministers that he really loved very much. They were like his three buddies. They golfed together. They hung out together. They, they were like his real buddies. There was a group of people that were very jealous. They were very jealous of these three ministers. They were always looking to find something wrong because they wanted to, to, to draw these ministers away from the king that the king shouldn't like them. So one day, these three ministers, they got a little drunk. And they went into the king's treasury. And they started taking things, rings and diamonds, and gold coins, and they started filling up their pockets. And they thought it was very funny, because they were drunk. And they thought it was very funny, and they went home. The other people who were jealous saw this, and they went running to the king, and they said to the king, you know, these ministers that you like so much, they're a bunch of ganavim. They're rebelling against you. Whoever steals from the treasury, it's punishable by death. You have to kill them. So the police officer, the head police officer said to the king, listen, what am I going to do? These people saw that, you know, these guys stole from you. I have to go arrest them. So the king said, go. Because you have to, I have to be, I have to be, if, I, if I'm going to let people steal, then everyone's going to steal from me. But go very slowly. Don't rush to arrest them. Go. Take your time. He calls his, one of his runners and he says, listen, this is this guy's address. This is this guy's address. This guy. You go to my three boys, my friends. Those Meshugam, they were drunk. Right, those crazy guys. But now I, I'm the king. If I'm going to allow people to do that, I'm going to lose everything. Go tell them that I know about it, and they should take their the money that they stole, throw it in the river, throw it in the river. So this guy goes running. And he goes to the first guy. And says the king knows. Throw your stuff in the river. Throw your stuff in the river. Throw your stuff in the river. Okay. 
police shows up two hours later. You're under arrest for stealing from the king. Okay. They bring back the three guys. The king winks at them. They wink at the king, you know, because there's not going to be any evidence. So the guy who saw him do it said, yeah, that was the jacket he was wearing. Make him empty it. The guy says, what are you talking about? I never stole anything from the king. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, empty. He opens his jacket, pulls out his pockets. There's nothing there. king says, yeah, the chutzpah to... To, to, that my my friend would steal from me. What kind of stupidity is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check the other guy's pockets. So they open up the next guy's pockets. It's empty. The king says, "What are you crazy? These are my buddies. What are you What are you talking about?" Of course, yeah, yeah. Check the third guy's pocket. Meshuggah, the third guy, never emptied his pocket because he wanted to keep the money. So they opened his pockets, and there's gold and silver and diamonds. And now the king's sitting there. What is he going to do? He has to hang him. This is, this is a Nehudikavart from the. I think it's either Chavetzchem or the Dugamagit. So the king turns to this friend that has the gold in his pockets and he says, I have to hang you. I don't have a choice because if I'm going to let you get away with it, then it's going to be a free for all, he says. But I want you to know, calls him over, he says, I want you to know that I'm not hanging you for, for stealing from me. I'm hanging you for after I warned you to get rid of this stuff. You were so into the money that you didn't take my warning. Is a raya, is a proof that you were never my friend. The other two, we had a relationship. You were so into the money, you want to get rid of it? You deserve to hang. You deserve to hang in front of everyone else. Guys, we're going to come Rosh Hashanah. And Hashem's telling us, listen, you got a lot of stolen goods in your pockets. You did a lot of unnavious. I gave you life. Anytime a person is alive and he doesn't have Vera, you stole something from Hashem because that Vera is not something that Hashem gave you to do. Hashem said not to do it. So if I tell you, if you guys are all in this room and I say, I don't want anyone touching my soda. Don't touch this soda. And you touch it, you're stealing from me. It's my room, it's my soda. So when, a, when Hashem tells people not to do an Vera and you do an Vera, you're stealing from Him. And the Sahara is jealous. Of his children, of us as Jewish people. Yitzhar is jealous of us. So he runs to Hashem and says, Oh, your buddies, Chaim Shlaimo, every morning he puts on his tilling, right? You think he loves you? He steals from you, he does Averish all the time. So Hashem says to the, to the ministering angels, He says, Guys, give them 30 days, don't rush. Don't rush to find their Averis. Give them 30 days, we'll arrest them on Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, we'll arrest them. You get arrested, each one of us gets arrested on Rosh Hashanah. Hashem already gave us the chance to get rid of all the stuff that's in our pockets. We stand in front of God, and the Sultan says, He did this, and he did this, and this guy looked at girls, and this guy did this, and he was listening to this kind of music, and he didn't keep Shabbos. And ben, 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 ben. Hashem says, what are you talking about? This is my son, Chaim Yankel. He would never do such a thing. And goes, yeah, empty out his pockets. Take a look at what he has. All of the virus. And they open it up, and the guy did tshuva, because Hashem warned us already. And Hashem says, what are, you, what, are you, what are you bad-mouthing my children? But the one that Hashem opens up his pockets, the fool that had 30 days to do tshuva now, in this whole month of Elo, and instead of doing tshuva, you're so into your virus, you're so into your garbage, that you can't let it go, you can't throw it in the river, you can't do tshuva. So you're going to get hung on Rosh Hashanah, not because of the various that you did, because you're showing Hashem, I don't, I don't really care about you. You gave me a chance to get out of this and I didn't? Stop, you're an idiot. 
number one, you're a fool. You got a crazy chance over here to get rid of all the evidence. And second of all, by, by not doing tshuva, you're showing Hashem that's what you wanted to do. If you did something that you didn't want to do, so if, if, if I gave you a chance, if I give you, if you write on the board, Rabbi Wallerstein is fat. Rabbi Wallerstein is ugly. On my chalkboard, right in eighth grade, they have written some nice things on there. I'm using nice words, right? Rabbi Wallerstein is blank. Okay? And I'm like, I don't know who wrote this on the board. I'm going to go out of the class, make sure when I get back it's not here. Right? Now, if I come back to the class, it's not there. So it was a prank. They didn't mean it. It was a prank. It was a joke. Uh, okay, stupid. Fine. But if I come back to class and it's there, that means that whoever wrote it meant it. And then I'm going to find out who wrote it and I'm going to throw him out of school. So by not doing tshuva, you're not erasing the board, guys. You're leaving all that virus that you did on the board. That says to Hashem... It wasn't because I was hungry for a cheeseburger or I can't control myself. Because if that was the reason, then you would have done tshuva. If you're not, if you're not doing tshuva during these 30 days, you're leaving what you wrote on the board on the board, that means you meant what you wrote on the board. That's a whole different situation. And that's what it means. Hashem is saying, I love you and you love me. We have a relationship. I'm giving you a chance. I'm giving you a chance to get out of this. And that's why these 30 days are the most important 30 days because you can come to Rosh Hashanah clean. And the Yitzhahara makes sure his, his, his whole koyach is to make you wait to the last second. Okay, not this week. I'll do tshuva next week. Okay, not next week. I'll do tshuva. Okay, the day before Rosh Hashanah, every Rosh Hashanah, I'll do tshuva. It doesn't happen. You'll get busy with business, with this, with that, with that. You're never going to get a chance to do it. So... These are, these are 30 days where you gotta take off your old clothing to put on your new clothing. And on top of that, you gotta get rid of the evidence. You got a chance to get rid of all the evidence. They got you. They nailed you. They, they came into your office, the FBI. They took all your paperwork. They got everything. You can't deny nothing. They got your phone calls. They traced everything. You're done. You're fried. You don't have a chance. The lawyer looked at your stuff. He said, don't even waste your money on me. Just go to jail for 30 years. Cause there's no way I'm getting you out of this. They have all this evidence. And then you get a chance. To go into the evidence room and, and just light a match and throw it in all the papers. So if you got that chance and you didn't do it, you're in the sugar. You're out of your mind. That's our chance. We have a chance to throw a match and burn up all the evidence that the Eight Sahara has. Every single person in this room has that kayak. If you don't use that kayak, then you're showing Hashem that the Avera wasn't because I couldn't control myself. The Avera was because I really don't care about you. And, and I wanted to do that Avera. It's Mochiach. It shows what your original das was, what your original idea was. So it's a freebie, man, and it's and it's not only a freebie, it was created before the world was created. The Zaya says that Tshuva was created before Briathoilam. Why? Because once the world was created, there was a thing called time, and a thing called time, you can't go backwards. You're actually going back in time. You're doing something that's impossible. You're going backwards in time, and you're changing. That when you were 12 years old, you ate cracker jacks that weren't kosher. You're now eating. You're now eating Reisman cake. It's amazing that you were you were driving on Shabbos, and you did tshuva, and the and 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 the, and the sultan's like, "Hey, everybody, you got to stay here. You got to see this. You got to see this guy driving on Shabbos, right?" And they put on the film, and the guy's sitting in shul singing l'chadaydi. And the son's like, what's the Khadaidi? He doesn't even know how to say the He did Chuba Me'ava. So he's in Shul saying the Now, you say to me, 
which is a great question. And I'm not going to be able to get into this tonight. Maybe next week. But the next world is MS. The next world is MS. So how could Hashem show that I'm eating? God is truth. He doesn't lie. He has pity. Right? So I understand the part where you erase something. In other words, I did chuba, so the, the film is empty. But how does he make me eat an entomint when I'm eating a cheeseburger? <laughs> and how does he make me ensure singing the Chodoidi if I'm driving a car to the movies? It's not MS. It's not true. God is MS. I didn't go to shul. I went to the movies on Shabbos. Now, how is he showing me? So I'm just going to touch it for a second. And maybe next week we'll get it. It's very deep. It's a very deep shit. Ah, whatever. We'll get to it, but I don't know if we're, if, if we're ready for this. But just, just to scratch it for a second. That's not an insult. I'm not ready for it. I don't understand it, so I can't give it over to you. When I understand, I'll give it over to you. In this world, the things that you see and the things that happen are misa, are things that you do. In the other world, it's machshava. It's a world of machshava, of thought. It's not a world of misa, the next world. So, when you daven, right? So, in the world of Misa, a guy standing in here tonight by Myriv, standing in the corner, right? And the guy's saying, Kaddish, and everyone hears him scream, Amen, Yehei, Shemei, Rabbo. And you're like, wow, that guy's from. Like, he's really religious. Because in the world of Misa, right? He's screaming Amen. He's chuckling by Shemona Esrei. Everything you see, action, looks good. Meanwhile, he's thinking that before he came to Myriv, he's thinking if he was talking to a guy in business, if he should buy the stock or he shouldn't buy the stock. So he's screaming to Manya Heshmerab and he's thinking about a stock. He's screaming to Manya Heshmerab, he's thinking about a Yankee. He just came from outside and, and, and he had to, he didn't want to miss the million and it was the bottom of the ninth and he's thinking, did Jeter get the hit or not? But in his head, did Jeter get the hit or not? You know? That's what he's thinking. Or he's saying, Barchu, and he's thinking in his head, Barchu, and he's thinking, oh my goodness, I double parked. <laughs> so now, in this world, did Jeter, get a ba- did Jeter get a home run, or did he get a base hit? None of us, it doesn't exist. It's a thought. It's a thought, it doesn't exist. He's saying, did Jeter get a hit is a thought. A thought doesn't exist to, in our world. But let me tell you what happens in the next world. So this guy who's screaming, creates a huge malach. The words, the maisa that you do, the words that come out of your mouth, create the physical malach. Because you're doing a physical object, you create in the next world a physical thing, which is this malach. So this guy screaming, he's got a, what do they call those wrestlers? Sumo. sumo. He's got a sumo amen yeshmerava malach. He's got a malach that's 450 pounds, you know, and that's who he's got up there. Now, the good malachim see, oh my goodness, we got some huge tzaddik. How do you make a, how do you make a sumo malach? You gotta be a crazy big tzaddik, right? So they're all excited. Let's get the sumo malach in front of Hashem. To say, Amen, Yeshmei Rabba, Mashiach's gonna come! So they run with this huge sumo malach, must have been Rav Chaim's malach, right? My malach's not a sumo malach, he's a little guy about this big, my malach, you know? 
But this got to be some, some big tzaddik must have said a menyesh merava. Such a big malach. So they run with this malach. They can't carry him even, right? Like, come on, let's go for Hashem. And this huge malach comes in front of Hashem. He's a 500, you know, and they crouch, you know, like 550 pounds of menyesh merava malach. Right? And they're like, okay, now, when you say your menyesh merava, it's going to bring Mashiach. Right? So the malach opens his mouth and he's standing there in front of God. Right? Big, big fat guy and goes like, you think Jeter hit a home run? What do you think he did? What comes out of the Malach's mouth is what was in your mind. <coughs> now you start thinking about the Malachim you create in the next world. It's in your mind, your Machshava, is what comes out of the Malach's mouth. So sometimes it's better to say, Amen, Yehesh, Meirava, create a little squeaky guy, but when he opens his mouth, comes out of Amen, Yehesh, Meirava. And that's why a person has to have something called kavana. In the next world, that's what comes out of the Malach's mouth. So in the next world, Makshava is the reality. In this world, the Maisa, I don't know what you're thinking. Guy comes over to me and says, hey, Rabbi, I love you. And he's thinking, I'd like to take a knife and stick it through your head, you know. I don't know what he's thinking. So what do I get from him? I love you. You understand? The guy smacks me one in the face. And he's thinking like, I'm doing that for his good because I want him, all his sins to be forgiven. I don't know about that. I'm smacking him back. Oh, okay. I worked on my anger, so I'm not going to smack him back. I'm going to doubt him for him. Whatever. Okay, whatever. But, but in this world, we live in a world of action. And that world's a world of machshava. Now, if you go into a world of machshava and the reality of the next world is machshava, so how do you do tshuva? You do tshuva by machshava. Part of your tshuva is admitting what you did wrong but the most important part of your tshuva is feeling bad about something. Feeling bad about something doesn't mean you say to Hashem, I feel really bad. Because you can say that many different ways. I feel so bad. I feel so bad. Right? <laughs> you have to feel inside bad. It has to be a machshava. So now that that person is feeling bad, and he's feeling bad in his machshava because he loves Hashem, then that whole cheeseburger thing which was a physical thing in this world, doesn't exist in that world anymore. It it's gone. It's, it's, no, what happens is, that's gone. Now that I did tshuva me'ava, ta'kodesh baruch out of love, I'm creating from my machshava a new malach. Now, what is the real tshuva? The real tshuva is, listen carefully, the real tshuva is, boys, that in the time that I spent eating the cheeseburger... And I was hungry, and Hashem made me hungry so that I could eat something kosher and do a mitzvah and make a bracha. I wish Hashem I would have never eaten that cheeseburger because I could have eaten a Reisman cake at the same time. And I could have made an alamichya. And a hundred guys could have said amen. And I could have said, bless you God who created Mizonos in the world. And I didn't. And that kills me. And I'm broken because of it. Boom, you just made a Mizonos. You just ate a Reisman cake. Because the reality in the next world is your machshava. Amazing. Instead of looking at the girl, I could have been learning Chumash. Instead of looking at my stupid computer for eight hours and all the things I couldn't, I could have been, I could have finished five pages in Gittin. Hashem, I'm sorry. Not only that I looked at the, at the thing I wasn't supposed to look at, but the time I spent, I could have been looking at a Gemara. Now you're looking at a Gemara. 
in the next world. Now when they play your tape because you felt bad that you wanted to look at a Gemara and that's your Makshava. All of a sudden the guy's sitting there instead of eight hours on the thing, he did Shuba Me'ava. They're going to show him sitting and learning Misakta's getting for eight hours. Because in the next world that's the power, the power of Makshava. But Nebuch, guys, it works the other way too. It works the other way too. If you're sitting giving lip service and you're headed somewhere else, that's what you got in the next world. That's what you got in the next world. So, not by, you don't get the Avera. By a mitzvah, that's a, a, one of the presents that Hashem gave us. By a mitzvah, machshava kemaisa. If I want to drink the soda, and I want to make a bracha, and I'm about to make a bracha on the soda, and David over here bends over and knocks it over and it's all over the place. Now I can't make a bracha on it anymore. I get the mitzvah making a bracha on it. Because by a mitzvah, machshava kemaisa. But if Chatsham, there was something here that wasn't kosher, and I'm about to drink it, I don't care. And he knocks it over. Now I can't drink it? I don't get the Avera. Hashem does not count a bad machshava as a Misa. He only counts a good machshava as a Misa. Now is that love? Is that, is that, is that, I need l'daydili. In the world of machshava, where machshava counts, Hashem says, but not by an Avera. You want to do an Avera? And you want to go to the movies? And you want to go to see a movie you're not supposed to see? And you get to the movie and it's sold out? And you can't go? You don't get another error. You don't get another error. You go to shul in the morning and you come to chakras and all of a sudden you're nauseous and you have to throw up and you didn't daven, you didn't put on your tefillin, but you went to shul you wanted to, it's like you daven and you put on your tefillin. Machshava by mitzvah is kemaisa. Machshava by avera is lat kemaisa. Nu, does he love us? Is that pure love? He gives you a chance to get rid of the evidence. gives you a chance to change, to go back in time, which is an impossibility in this world, and change everything. You can edit the whole film. And how many of us do that? How many of us show up and the Yetzirah says, okay, empty your pockets, and Hashem's sitting there and we empty our pockets with all these Averis, and Hashem's like, I gave you a whole elbow. Where were you? Why'd you throw everything in the river? What's wrong with you? I gave you a chance to do tshuva, and you didn't. That's, so Elo is good for us, but Chatham, if you don't use it, it's, 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 it's showing that all the Averis he did a whole year wasn't just Taiva. It was cause, cause I couldn't kill us. Okay. So, we have, that's, I mean, that's the month that we're in. It's, a, it's an amazing month. So I tried to tell you that I was in Eretz Yisrael. And I was there cause my daughter wasn't feeling well. Baruch Hashem, she's much better. And I had this chus of going, it was very, it was a big chamsin in Israel. It was like a hundred and, it was 33 degrees Fahrenheit. It was crazy hot. But I, I was there, so how could you miss Friday night by the Kaifu? You can't, you, you can't. I don't care how hot it is. So, so I went Friday night to the Kaifu. Now I have a thing I've been doing all my life, is I, I like to watch Souls. I'm into Souls. And, um, so I've been watching you guys for so long. And, so I love to sit after I finish davening. Finish davening. I love to sit by the wall, just watch people walk up to the kaisel and and watch their how they change. You know how it affects them. And I want you to know that I was crying like a baby this this first time in my life on a Friday night. You're supposed to cry. Not allowed to cry Friday night. I was crying. Why was I crying? Because I was watching people go up to the wall. First of all, I was watching goyim. There were goyim there, not Jewish people. Idol worshippers. Um, walk up, right? Not Jewish. Walk up. First of all, they put a yarmulke on. They're wearing their cross still, but they put the yarmulke on. 
and they go to the wall and just to show you you have to move the camera for a second this is how they approach the wall you know we approach the wall you know we come to the wall this is how they approach the wall let's say right here is the wall right so the first the first step is awe they stand there and they just look at it they just look at it they're, like, it's, they're, they're, they're tourists and they just and they have this look of awe just like wow and I'm like I'm standing there I'm like this is, this is a non-Jew right and then they, they stick their hand out uh, anyone who's ever been at Israel can see this and they, this is how they walk to the wall in other words this, is, this wall is on fire and like I can't just walk up to it like with such respect you know and then they put their hand on the wall and then they start to move their body and then they put their head on the wall and I was watching these non-Jewish people the awe you know and then there was one guy the Nebuch, whatever he crossed himself you know in front of the wall I'm like wrong wall wrong religion like hello you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that but, 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 the Navi says there will come a day when Mashiach is in his time where they will all come with all their religions and they will all come, the guy will all come to the Beis HaMikdash. And I said to myself, you know what? And I just was watching this awe on a Friday night. Now, if you could picture this for a second. So you have these guy and there were, there were, know, there were a group of guy and they had their kids there and they, they all got their hand on the wall and they're, like, they're just like... Just staring at it. It was, it was like, it was, uh, I started to cry because I said to myself, here I am chasing kids in the mountains, they're Jewish kids, and they're being mechalo Shabbos. I said, Hashem, I feel so bad for you. I started crying. I said, I, I said, I said, Dad, I said, God, I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I can't stop these kids. Here you have a bunch of goyim, and they, they're in awe on Shabbos, and they're standing around. The minion next to me was the Kalabach minion. You know, where they sing every line, and the, and the, and these goyim are just standing around this Kalbach minion, and they're just, they're just in awe. And then the, there was a Lubavitcher minion, they start dancing around. You have the Vizhnitsa minion that's dancing around, and, and these goyim just, they can't get enough of it. It's just like, wow, you can see the jealousy, like, like, the, like we have something like amazing that they don't have. And, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, and here we have all these kids that are, that are Shem's children that are smoking on Shabbos. I said, Hashem, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you have to go through this. Did you have to have your own children smoke on Shabbos and be anti what you stand for and have these people in such awe of, of who you are? And then there were Israeli soldiers who were not religious, put on their yarmulkes, who were almost crying. And they were not religious. There were some kids there, you know, with long hair and a hundred piercings and just just standing at this kaisel and just davening and crying and, and, and getting connected. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking at this wall and I'm saying, Hashem, what other nation in the world is like us? Every other nation, look at that, those, those you know, I, I go Vasekin in the, in the morning. So I go, I, Vasekin was 6.07, when the sun rises, it's a big thing to say, Shemana, right? I go to the mikvah at 3. So I'm by the crystal at 4. That's my time. You know, that's the best meditation time. 4 o'clock, they start 5.30 davening. Shachas, you have an hour and a half to say to Hillel, to put your hand on the wall. It's quiet. It's, 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 it's you and God. It's amazing. There's nothing like it in the world. It's just like you and God. And you get a chance to, you know, to, to really connect to Baruch Hu. And it, it's, you just, when, you, when you're there and you see all these people and all these kids and, 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 and they, they have nothing to do with Yiddishkeit. And I'm thinking to myself, when I come there at 4.30, I don't know if you've ever been there, and Hashem should give me this chus. I shouldn't say this on tape, really. Hashem should give me this chus. Since I'm 11 years old, I walked with my father always to the Kaisel. We never missed 
a day without going to the Kaisal. So my father always down the Vosikin, and you have those Arabs in the gold mosque and the silver mosque. I don't know what they're doing. It sounds like they had some bad stuff to eat the night before. Um, they're grunting. It's like, you know, then there's, there's a cross. We have to listen to this, right? They have a right to pray out loud and disturb us by the Kaisel, and they have these two mosques sort of, you know, I heard they're not even up. I, I was like, which Arab gets up so early in the morning? They said, that's a tape, you know. <laughs> Sometimes it's a tape, right. And here you are in the most Kaddishtika place, and you're looking to oh, you guys like, get, you know, get him some kale pecta, get him some, I don't know, antibiotics. You know, he's like, that's, that's what it sounds like, really. That can't be a prayer, I'm sorry. I don't know what kind of mouth that looks like, but it's not a very good-looking mouth that comes out of there. Anyway... We'll call it the Asher Yatzamalach. Anyway, so so even as a kid, even as a kid, I was always like, when Mashiach comes, I want a bazooka on my shoulder. I used to tell this to my father. He's, he's, I, was, I was 11 years old. I said, I want a bazooka on my shoulder. I get the gold mosque. That's mine. I want to blow that whole top off. And since I'm a little kid, I'm like, that's whatever. That was in my head. No, I'm never going to do that. Uh, whatever. It's going gonna, it's gonna to disappear like, like nothing. But... I was standing by the wall Friday night, and I said, Hashem, I have to tell you something. I said, God, look at your nation. The, the Arabs, in their holiest place, they have a gold mask. The mask it's made out of gold. The, the, the dome is real gold. Inside is the most precious Persian carpets, marble. It's, it's, a, it's an edifice. It's worth millions, maybe more than millions of dollars. That's their place of prayer. That's even their most holy place. It's one of their holy places. Mecca is even more holy. They have even a bigger mosque over there. I said, the Christians have the Vatican. Vatican City. Worth billions of dollars. In the Himalayas, the monks, the Buddhists, they have their most amazing buildings. We don't even have a building. We have a wall. I said, Hashem, we don't have a building. Forget about a nice building. We don't have four walls. We have one wall broken with a bunch of weeds coming out, a couple of birds that you have to stand back, right? Because you don't know your talus and your tool and what's going to happen. A couple of birds on those weeds. There's no beauty in that wall. And these guys on a Friday night are standing like this. Like, can I touch this? In awe. What, what do they see? What are they seeing? This is no this is no awestruck building. This is a wall. It's not even a wall that's been fixed. Kedusha, holiness, godliness, doesn't have to be in a fancy building. I said, Hashem, we all come here to daven at your wall. So we deserve that you should build us a house, a base on Migdash, and they'll be left with the wall. Leave them with the wall. And bring us to Beis Hamikdash. But the the beauty of a Jewish soul to sit by that kosel and see these soldiers and Sfarim and Ashkenazim, Chassidim, it doesn't it doesn't make a difference there. It's like Ornava, you know. It's like this sheer. Doesn't matter who you are, Sfarim, Ashkenazim, everybody davening. You should have seen what's going on with that Kalbach minion. The guys were dancing. They were pulling guys, and then. After Davini, you go up and you have, uh, what's his name, uh, Jeff Seidel, and he's got all these people, no one, they're not wearing yarmulkes, nothing, and he's like, okay, Wallstein, how many people, how many people can you take to your house? And just people walk up, you take five kids, you take these five kids, you take those five kids, 
and, and, and like half of them, you know, I don't know if half of them are Jewish or not Jewish, whatever it is, doesn't matter. My most famous story, which is not for tonight, is about how a Jewish guy became Jewish because one of the guys that went was a priest, and they didn't know that, and whatever, he ended up in Aish, he ended up in Aisha Torah. It's a famous story, but it's not for tonight. But, and, and I'm like, I'm like, I, 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 I walked away from the coast and I said, I don't understand how Mashiach can come now. I mean, what do you want, Sasha? What, what do you want? What more do you want? So like, we pray at a wall. We, 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 every single kind of person came to that wall. Every Jew, no matter where he came from, he prayed, he broke down, he cried. I'm not much watched people. I'm serious. Guys that I would not walk in the same alley with. They looked really scary. And they walked up to that wall. They started crying like two-year-olds. And, 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 and they take that paper, like they're sending a letter to Hashem. The other religions don't have that. They're sticking a piece of paper into a wall with, with their feelings that they're sending a letter to HaKadosh Baruch. And he ledaidi, ledaidi li. He loves us. He loves us. He cares about us. He gives us a chance to change. He gives us a chance to get rid of all the evidence. Why are we so hard? Why are we fighting it? Why don't we do tshuva? It's so hard to understand. It was, it was, I never, I've said, I, I, you know, I cry. I worry that I won't cry in Yom Kippur because I want to cry in Yom Kippur. Tishabov, I want to cry. I was sitting there Friday night. People probably thought I was out of my mind. I'm seeing everybody's dancing and singing. Kalabach, I'm crying. I was crying for God. I was like, I, I, I feel your pain. I, I feel bad for you. The, 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 the idol worshippers, they're standing there with awe and, and our kids are, hey, Michal Shabbos, Rabbi, what are you going to do? <laughs> Who does that hurt? Who does that hurt? It hurts one being in the world hurts Hashem that's who it hurts and we need to understand that when a person does an Avera that's what we're doing we're, we're hurting Hashem okay so we're going to end off we're going to end off with a little secret in, in, in Davani I really wanted to talk tonight about Akedas Yitzchak but we'll talk about it Hashem next week about why we blow the chauffeur this makes a little noise I can scare you more. I have a siren at home. I'll scare you more than a shark will ever scare you. <laughs> I got one of those things that they have at the Ranger Games that you're pushing. You know the loud? Come on, a chauffeur, a guy blows the chauffeur, you're getting scared. Who does that scare? This morning they blew chauffeur in your shul. Were you shaking? You're like, oh no, now I gotta add, I gotta say Ladovin. It's another three minutes. Oh man. And if the guy can't blow it right, it's like, oh man, I gotta wait till he gets it right. I don't go, hey, we know what's going on in our heads. You know what I mean? Oh no. We have to say Ladovin now for until till Shana Rabba. Oh man, we added another thing and Nebuch the poor We gotta say Slichas, Oive. It's another half an hour, 40 minutes. Hashem, Hashem, Hashia, no, right? Well, it's just the opposite. It's, you finally you get a chance to dive in, to dive in a little bit extra to hear Shofar. But, but the truth is, I, and I'm gonna give a share next week on Shofar. What's the basis? What's the Kabbalah? What's behind, what's behind the Shofar? It really doesn't, I, I have to admit, a Shofar doesn't really scare me. You know, even my grandson, it doesn't scare. He blows it. Who scares? Hey, hey. It says the chauffeur wakes up your soul. A good screaming rabbi wakes up your soul. The chauffeur doesn't wake up your soul. You want to hear how he makes a mistake a little bit, you know? I can blow better. You go into Eichler's, you buy yourself a nice little chauffeur. Why do we blow a chauffeur? That's an amazing, amazing share that Rav Shimshon Pinkers gives. On the chauffeur we blow is because it came from the aisle that was... When Hashem said to him not to kill Yitzchak, and there was a, an isle that was caught by its horns in the thorns. Why was it caught in the horns? It said, and it says, 
that it was stuck from the times of Bereshit, so it was there a long time. Why did he get stuck by his feet? Why specifically his horn? And we blow the horn. It's next week in Mitzvah Hashem. It's very, very deep. Not just about being scared of a sound. Most of us are not scared of a sound. Um, it's to remind Hashem of Akedah Sitzah, which we'll talk about next week. But so I want to end off with a little secret in tefillah, in, in davening. Rosh Hashanah, this is what we're preparing for. So you're really davening for your life. Like I told you two weeks ago, all the people that died this year, all the people that died that you know, that you went to Leviathan for, that was written on Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. They didn't die because in February they caught a cold or they got cancer in, in June or they had a heart attack in, in April or a stroke in May. That's not why they died. They died because on Rosh Hashanah they weren't in the Book of Life. That's when you get written for the Book of Life or the Book of Death. It's Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. It's a very, very, very serious time. It's, you don't die because something happened during the year. You die because something happened on Rosh Hashanah. You lose your money because something happened on Rosh Hashanah. Not because you made a bad real estate deal in the middle of April. That bad deal happened in April because of Rosh Hashanah. They wrote, you're going to lose your money. So they made a way of you losing your money. But Chas Hashanah, anything that happens in a person's life that whole year should be good. Chas Hashanah is not good. That happens on Rosh Hashanah. So Rosh Hashanah is the biggest day of the year. And you better know what you're doing on Rosh Hashanah. Or else you're going to miss out on the biggest day of the year. So I want to tell you a, a little secret in tefillah. And we'll end with that. So everybody diving to Rosh Hashanah. What, so you ask somebody, so what are you diving for this Rosh Hashanah? Well, I'm uh, looking for a shidduch. Uh What are you diving for this Rosh Hashanah? I'm looking, I need to make some more money. What are you diving in this Rosh Hashanah? I don't have children. I like to have some children. What are you doing? My grandmother, she, she's sick in the hospital. She should get better. You, if you went through shul and you asked everyone, what are you doing for? Everybody's doing for something else. Some people are doing for all things. I should have children. I should get married. I should make money. My grandmother should get better. Right? So, everybody's got their own thoughts, what they need that year. He says an, an amazing story. I've said it before. And this is the secret of Tefillah and the secret of Rosh Hashanah. So it was like, you know, all the, all, the, all the stories in the Medrash are stories of kings. There was a king, and he had a prince, and the boy was, they're always misbehaved for some reason in the, in the Medrash. All these princes, I guess guys, Mr. Mr., you know, it's not something new. And the, the prince misbehaved, and the king couldn't keep him in the castle anymore, and he threw him out. And the prince was happy to go, because he didn't like the control that was going on in the palace. And he was, he was, he was, he was, he was 11 years old, 12 years old, when he got thrown out. And he walked, and he walked, and he walked, and he ended up in a peasant's village, and he got a job there, and he grew up there. He was there for 10 years. He's already like 20, 21, whatever, and totally forgot that he was a prince. He started playing with the kids and the mud and this and that. He grew up there. He went to public school there, and he, he was no more prince. He's, he forgot altogether where he came from. And he got a fantastic job by this man who was paying him a lot of money. Not only was he paying him a lot of money, but he gave him free room and board. And it was a great job, and he was very happy. He was a happy guy. He's going to get married one day. He was a happy guy. This old man, this man that he worked for, all of a sudden died. And his son took over the factory. And his son right away has to, has to make more money, has to change things. So he called this prince who wasn't a prince, who nobody knew was ever a prince, who he forgot he was a prince, called him over. He says, listen, my dad liked you. I don't. You're not getting any more of the money. I'm giving you half the money. And from that money, you're going to have to pay for room and board. 
This guy went crazy. What do you mean? I should do the same work. He said, listen, then go get another job. But he didn't know how to get another job. It's the only thing he knew how to do. So he kept the job. Now, the king was a very good king. And what he would do is, one month a year, he would go through the country. And every day he would go to another city. And he would judge cases. He was the ultimate judge. He was the king. He would judge cases that were brought for, you know, they, they would save it for that month. Everybody would save their cases. And they would stand in front of the king and, and, and ask for justice. This prince, who was not a prince anymore, he was a peasant, right, said, okay, when the king comes, I'm going to get up there. I'm going to tell him, I'm going to show him my old checks. I used to get paid this much. I'm going to show him that I didn't have to pay that. And this guy, you know, cheating me and then that. I'm going to get back pay. I'm going to get back rent. You know, I'm going to go in front of the king. I hear the king's a good guy. He's an honest guy. I get all my paperwork together. I get all my stuff together. Fine. Nope. Everybody comes in, one guy at a time. Guilty, not guilty. Pay him, don't pay him. In walks the king's son. In walks the king's son, the prince. Right away, the king recognized the son. But the son didn't recognize the king because he was already 12 years out of it. And he, so he comes, the king says, the king's, okay, let's see what happens. So the son says to the king, um, Sir King, I would like to ask you a favor. And the king's thinking, oh, oh he's going to he, say he wants to come back. I'll take him back to my son. I'll gladly take him back to the palace, right? So the king says, yes, yes, what? He was all excited. Yeah, what do you want? What do you want? He goes, King, I need an honest judgment from you. Yeah, okay, what, what, what? You know, he figured, he's going to apologize, you know, and want to know if he'll take me back. He says, I had a boss. He paid me $1,200 a week. Now he pays me $600 a week. And, he, and here's all my papers. And the king's not even looking at him, at the paper. Here's my papers. Here's my old rent. And here's my old lease. Oh, yeah, I messed up all my papers now. Here's my old lease. Here's my old this. Here, I have everything in front of you. Please read it. I wrote everything out for you. And please give us your judgment. And the king's sitting there. He's saying, any other complaints? Maybe you have another complaint. Maybe you want to say something, ask something. He goes, nope. Those are my two complaints. My rent. And my salary. The king looks at this kid, and the king starts to cry. The king starts to cry. Everybody, they never saw the king cry. Everybody's in the room. The king's crying. What's the king crying for? So the boy looks up at the king, and he says, it's not such a bad situation. Why are you, why are you crying? He said, you know who I am? He says, yeah, you're the king. He says, you know who you are? He says, yeah, I'm Jaime Uncle. I work for this and this is this company. He goes, you're the prince. All you needed, listen carefully, this is a very big secret in Tzvila. All you needed to ask me was to come back home. If you asked me to come back home, you wouldn't need a salary. You wouldn't need room and board. You would live in my palace as a prince. You're asking all these things. I need salary and I need this and I need that. All you need to do is come back to me. Listen carefully. Rosh Hashanah, we come to Hashem and we say, I need this and I need that and I want a new car and I want this and help me with that. And Hashem's like, fool! Hashem's crying, fool! I need a daddy, a daddy, you're my son. Just ask to come back. Just ask to come back. Just ask for Mashiach. Mashiach comes. There'll be no one sick. You won't need money. You won't need this. You won't need that. Instead of asking all your little stupidities, just ask to come back. 
if you ask to come back, you automatically are going to get everything. Now we understand what is this love thing. On the most dangerous day of our lives, on the hardest day of judgment of our lives, I love you, you love me. What's going on over here? That's what's going on over here. That's what's going on. Because the only way that a human being, a Jewish person, could come out, Zakai, could come out innocent in this terrible, terrible court case, a life and death court case, is if he has a relationship with Hashem that I love you and you love me and I'm your son and I'm the prince and I want to come back. And I understand that you're giving me, you gave me 30 days to get rid of all the evidence. And for someone to do that, you have to love someone. And therefore, Elul is not a scary time. Elul is a time of love. Elul is a time of getting close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Elul is a time of being in awe. And that's what we need to use the next, that's not even 30 days anymore. Now we only have 28 days or 27 days left. We need to take the next 27 days and we need to get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we need to get forgiveness and we need to change our ways. Because if you're going to leave all your sins on the, ch- on the chalkboard, when the rabbi walks out and says, okay, it's a very funny joke, erase it, and he comes back in and it's on the chalkboard, it's not a funny joke anymore. So if you're going to come to Rosh Hashanah with the same Averis and you didn't erase them, then it's not a joke. And it's going to be a lot harder to erase because Hashem is going to be like, who put that on the board? Who wrote that on the board? He's going to have to pay the price. So it's a very, 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 very special time. And the reason that the marshal of the king coming is that the Bnei Sascha and all of Kabbalah that talks about Elul says that it is the month of the year where God comes out of his throne in the other world and comes down to this world. He is now amongst us. We're not praying up to him. We're praying level to him. He is amongst us in Elul. Now's the time to go to the king and say, hey, forget the salary and all that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you're my father. I'm going to get rid of the evidence, and we're going to get close. And and on the other hand, the second part you can't forget either. And that's Ishlari Eu Matanas It's a time to get close to our brethren, to our brothers, to help other people, because if you're God's son, and you're not my brother, that means I'm not Hashem's son. If you're Hashem's son, then for me to be Hashem's son, I need to be your brother. If I'm not your brother, then I can't be his son. So it has to come from two sides. It has to come through my relationship with God, but it also has to come from my relationship with other people. No better time than to make up with your parents than this month of El. No better time than Al-Machaber to say you're sorry and to make up with your parents than, and to make up with your wives or whatever, whoever's married or whoever you've ever heard in your life this is the time. You got 30 days. You can erase everything. You can mamish. You can put on a film that's going to make him look so bad. You can make that satan look so stupid. Like an absolute fool. Like an absolute fool. There was a story. I don't want to get into the story, but it just reminds me. A guy, it's a very famous story in business. There was a guy making a, um, a presentation in a very big company. You know, with all the bank stuff, all the graphs and everything. And he didn't realize that the film he put on was some private film that he had private film and by accident he put that disc in 
and they're all sitting in this big meeting of his whole life. He's <coughs> supposed to like sell a, a huge condominium building with all kinds of stuff. And all of a sudden they're watching stuff they shouldn't have been watching. And they went under the table. Of course the deal didn't happen. If you're stupid enough to put the wrong tape in, we don't trust you to write. So let's, let, let's do that to the Satan. He's going to come up there. He's going to have this big presentation. Chaim Yankel, I'm going to show you Hashem, everybody. you got to see all the various. And they're going to see you doing mitzvahs and davening. And you're, you're just going to... You're going, to, you're going to make him look. You're going to make him look silly. I'm a hockey player. All my life, I played hockey. The best moment for a hockey player, anyone that's in this room, besides breaking a uh, a tie with two seconds left, putting it over the goalie's shoulder, that's a pretty good feeling. But I'll tell you what the best feeling is. The best feeling is at the end of the playoffs. There's a rule: you have to line up and shake the other team's hands. Now, I was in a hockey league, and you know we we won the playoffs. And when you line up, and you you know this this is a team that you. You elbowed, you you speared, you tripped, you you did whatever you could to win the game, right? But gent- we're gentlemen. So at the end of the game, each team lines up and you shake every single guy's hand, right? There's a couple of NHL teams, the Philadelphia Flyers, when they were really bad, they once didn't come out for that handshake, whatever, whatever. But normal people, that's there's no better feeling when you shake the team, you beat them, and you shake his hand, you go, hey, give me a hand. Good game, man. Good game. <laughs> Next year, baby. Next year. Ah! Oh, that feels good. Oh, you look him in the eye and you tell him, hey, you're the winner. You got the, you got the cup. You got it, right? Hey, good game, man. Next year. Yo, don't worry. You guys were good. Put up a good fight. Ah! Yeah! Oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you. There's nothing like it in the world. Well, Rosh Hashanah. What's a Rosh Hashanah? You take the satan and you say, hey man, next year. Next year maybe you'll get some evidence on me. Good game. Maybe next year. You put up a good fight, but I'm the winner. That's the drive you need to have in this. You have to have the drive to beat that Yetzirah. Every single night, I was telling one of the guys in this year, I said, every single night you should say, you're amazing! Before you go to sleep to the Yetzirah, you're amazing! Wow, you had me... Woo! You had me going. Good game, man. Tomorrow maybe you'll get me. Good game. Thanks. Go to sleep like that. Say hamapol kriyashma like that. You'll beat him every single day. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.